Today is the first day of Advent, and uh, every week, uh, every Sunday, we will light a candle. And um, if you try to f- look for a unified um, tradition on the right way to do Advent candles, you will find probably 50 different traditions and different versions of it. So I'll give you the authorized version. Today we light the purple candle, which is a symbol of repentance and royalty, the two R's. And I'd like to uh, look at look at a passage of Scripture that has to do with Advent, and it's a good picture for us to latch onto as, and it will be connected with the with the sermon as well. If you look with me at Luke chapter one, and it has to do with uh, Zacharias' visitation. With, from an angel. And this angel came to Zacharias with a message that he was completely unprepared for. In fact, the message was not just information, but it is actually, it was introducing a whole different dimension, different era uh, in world history, um, as well as uh, um, Jewish history. And um, the angel comes and he speaks the what we call the evangel and uh as Zacharias was um uh, doing his uh, duty and if you turn with me to Luke chapter 1 verse 12 Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him but the angel said to him do not be afraid Zacharias for your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John the advent of God is often accompanied with miracles, impossible things happening. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine, nor all liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So God was preparing a people for the Lord. Now, Zechariah was completely unprepared for this and his whole mindset was still stuck in what was going on before that, which was a very dry and depressing and oppressed um, period in the nation's history under the boot of the Romans and not helped at all by the religious establishment, the Sanhedrin. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered and said, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you do not believe my words which will be fulfilled in its proper time. And what the angel was saying is this. Because of your unbelief, because of the fact that you are not um, flexible or soft enough or open enough to hear the word of the Lord, you will not be in a place where you can speak with any kind of authority on the works of God. Advent is a time in which we prepare ourselves not just for the bling-bling of uh, Christmas, but we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. Now, the Lord has already come, but there's a way in which His, in which his coming um, is repeated day after day, day after day, because He's always coming to us. You'll find that his, the coming of the Lord is something we can experience as a spiritual discipline because of the fact that God is not always the same. He's not just here and then He's just like a, just staying here and not, no event takes place. No, He's actually coming all the time and, and constantly things are going to be happening because miraculous things, things that are, have to do with visitation. So there's a way in which God's presence is a solid state and yet at the same time, it's a wave. It keeps on coming and it keeps on coming. And in order for us to actually uh, anticipate the coming of the Lord, Christmas is a time in which, in Advent, we 
gear ourselves up, we prepare our hearts for any event that God is actually going to bring about in our lives. And Zechariah was not, um, he was not prepared for it because he was thinking about life as a, a steady state of what has been going on. He was not anticipating the coming of the Lord. He was not anticipating God actually ruffling the, 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 the feathers of time. He was not anticipating God actually coming and doing something else. He, everything had become same, the sameness to him. Isaiah, Isaiah 65 says, the problem with the prophets and the shepherds is that they say that everything will be the same as yesterday and tomorrow will be the same as yesterday. And so because of that, Advent is very important. The early, the, 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 the early church, uh, and I don't mean the first century church, but the, the church that was early, medieval and, and later times, began to realize that we need some kind of helps to be able to be aware of God's coming. The, kind, the coming that is not just a solid state, but it is a wave that is in the form of a wave. Yeah, it's coming, he has come, and he's still coming, and he's coming more. And so the first thing that actually is celebrated has to do with repenting, repenting of our own ways. And what it tells us is that in order for us to be prepared for the coming of the Lord, the Lord has to upturn and um, upend radically our own expectation of things. Not just philosophically, but because of the fact that because He's coming, every day we have to kind of look, remind ourselves He's coming. It is not the same. Today is not the same as yesterday. Amen? And I want to invite us to just pray and just receive the Lord and just spend some time before the Lord before we go into the sermon. Please bow with me. Zacharias is an object lesson, a cautionary tale. We don't want to be people who are rendered silent, speechless, nothing to say, when the Holy Spirit is doing great things. I want to be there in the action. I want to be there, there when God is doing a new thing. And so I want to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to shine a light and scan your heart for anything that may be impeding the coming of the Lord for something new, something different. We welcome you, Lord, to open up our, the space of our heart for your coming. We bless you, Lord. Prepare us, Lord, in the next few weeks that we will be used by you. We have, that we will have mouths to speak of something fresh, something new, something present, something immediate, something miraculous. Give us something to tell our friends. So we welcome you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Lord, we ask you that you open your word to us. Speak to us in such a way that your word does not just give us information, but that it takes us into a new empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We've been looking at Acts chapter 2, and I will briefly refer you back to this because as we get ready for Advent, Advent in the next four Sundays, um, what we will be doing is focus, focusing on preparing our hearts for Advent. But there is, some way, there is a way in which it is related to what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. So t turn with me, please, to Acts chapter 2. 
and we will continue our series. We saw that after Peter's message, uh, his sermon, um, the response of uh, 4,000 people was to his admonition to receive the Holy Spirit and to save themselves from the perverse um, generation, right? be saved from this perver- perverse generation. So as a result of that, what we have is a response from the people who had been converted. So then, verse 41, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls, not 4,000, but 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Extraordinary times indeed. Extraordinary times indeed. These times of awe and, and, uh, and refreshing and miracles continue. But you can sense that there is a special moment there in verse 43 in which everyone was, was awestruck, felt a sense of awe. Uh, and uh, actually, I think in the King James Version, it says fear actually. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions um, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Daily, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. We have been speaking about the fact that the church is not just a solid, um, constant structure that is static, but it is actually a moving thing. It is following the movement of the Holy Spirit. The center of the essence of church is the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the, 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 the God that we worship, moving and doing things, and the church moving with Him. Yeah? It's not just timeless, but it is timely. That's very good. It's not only timeless, timeless, but it's timely. And what we see in the, in the Acts is the church as it was moving on, in time, in real time. Right? We actually see a narrative of it, not just principles about the church. The church should be this or should be that or should be this or it consists of this or has this or doesn't have that. It is, what we see is a narrative of the church like an animal moving. You can only tell the nature of the animal as it is living and it's breathing and it's moving, as it's moving. You can't tell much about a cat as if it's a stuffed animal. Yeah? And so we, we've been talking about that. But I like to actually focus on that, that thought because devotion which was their response, the devotion to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, or to the fellowship, to, uh, devotion to, um, to breaking of bread and to prayers, is it's very interesting because that devotion um, connotes the fact that the church was in a very special moment. They devoted themselves because something special was happening at that time different from other times, yeah? And so there was a special, special intensification of the moment. It was a special in- intensification of the moment in which everybody was there together. They were all together in one place. They were devoting themselves. They were, there was almost as if for that moment, that special, and I'm going to use a word that I'm sure many of you have heard, it's a liminal moment, a transforming moment, a moment in which old identities were being, were being discarded and new di- identities were being taken on. More than identities, there were new dynamics that were taking on. There was a transformation that was taking place in which a, a, a motley crew of demoralized people were being transformed in that very moment, in, that, in those few days, into a tra- supernatural community. They were, move, they were moving from a bunch of people that had no morale, they were discouraged, they were traumatized, 
into a people who are completely bold, but more than just bold because they were confident, but, be, but filled with the Holy Spirit's boldness. That was a liminal moment, a liminal in the sense that change was taking place in which this, the, this, the state of these people was changing, transforming radically from one state to another. The church is not just a structure, a static structure. It is, a, it is, a, it, it is almost like a, a cat, like an animal that is moving. But there are special times in which, in this so-called liminality, that change, right? This change, it's an anthrop- I believe it's an anthropological uh, 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 route in which a group of people or a person or an entity changes mode, more than changes mode, changes identity, changes its constitution, changes its personality, its character, the very, the very warp and woof of its being changes, right? Now, it's important for us to understand that because the church is an on-time thing, we can be in the moment with, the, with, with, with what God's doing, or we can be out of it. True? Because being in time with God is very important. Being out of time with God is actually not being present to God. Being present to God is being in sync with Him, correct? All right, let me, let me try to illustrate this. I wonder whether any of you have been part of a group of people that had a very, very special moment, a transforming moment in such a way that this group was never the same again. Or have you ever been part of a group that, was, that did amazing things or amazing things happened to them? And every time you go back to meet people in that group, they always talk about that defining moment. We're talking about the church in Acts chapter 2. There are times in which God works in us as individuals, but there are very much more special times in which God moves among a group of people that you identify with. And you have a shared identity Because you guys went through that amazing time. Those who are involved in revivals experienced that. They were there at that moment. They are not reading books about these things. They didn't live after that or before that, but they lived in that. They experienced something so radically powerful in them that they were never the same again after that. Have you ever been that? Whether in school or in work or among friends and all that. I have, you know. And it's very, I've been, I've had the privilege of being in such special moments with a group. And the kind of identity you have with that group is just very, very amazing. It's just quite special. But it changes you as well. I know I've talked to you about my high school. It's called Victoria Institution, yeah, in Malaysia. Victoria Institution was a very special school, especially during the time between 1964 and 1970. 1960, uh, Victoria Institution was, uh, was uh, founded by Queen Victoria. She came all the way from, from Britain and laid the foundation stone for our school. We had the colors dark blue and light and navy blue from Oxford and Cambridge. Cambridge and Oxford. Yeah. And... Uh, and and so all the headmasters, is a boys' school, and all the headmasters were Brits. They were from England. And uh, in 1964, the first headmaster that was not white uh, became inaugurated, and his name was Mr. V. Murugesu. Okay? Can you say that? Mr. V. Murugesu. He is legendary not only in Malaysia, but in the whole, whole of Southeast Asia, because in 1964, when he took over, he took the school to levels that had never been seen ever before. From 1964 to 1970, we won every sport, every sport, rugby, soccer, hockey, I mean field hockey, uh, cricket, 
um, badminton, all those games that you like, you guys love to follow and, and play. And play, I'm sure. <laughs> athletics. <laughs> In Malaysia, when we say athletics, we mean track and field. We want everything. And for the, for the Cambridge O-levels and the A-levels, we were tops in the, nation, in the nation for many, many years. For many years, we had the best results and all that. In fact, um, when I uh, um, graduated from school, my sixth form, the class, my, my class of, 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 of students, um, about 45 of them went into medical school, straight into, into medical school. We were very lucky to be in that school. But for those who were there in 1964 to 1970, they will always talk about the heydays, the, the, the amazing days of Murugesu, because Murugesu was a, was a disciplinarian. He was a disciplinarian. And, and, and I would go and listen to stories of how Murugesu would go to every class one by one and give them, every pupil, individually their report card. Of course, with a cane behind. I joined the school in 1971. So I missed Murugesu. And because I miss Murugesu, I was not in on many of the conversations that my classmates had because they had been there earlier than me. I joined uh, the school uh, late because we had just come back from England, so we were away. And every time they talk about this school, and I could go to Singapore, I could go to Thailand, I could go to Philippines, I could go anywhere, and they would talk, oh yeah, VI, okay, Victoria Institution, yeah, we know about that. And people will say, Murugesu, Murugesu, Murugesu. And I would say, yeah, I missed it. I missed it. During those days, every, every, during every game, every rugby match or every soccer match, we would all, the whole school had to be down on the field to, to cheer our, our school playing rugby or any, any, any game. Can you imagine? And the prefects, prefects would take attendance, make sure everybody was there. It was pretty amazing. All, all the people that I know that were under Murugesu became just luminaries in the country, you know but I was not under Murugesu. So there's a way in which I just can't talk with them and have that same kind of feeling that they have when they talk about Murugesu. You know what I'm saying? There is, it's true that revivals have taken place in, uh, in, the, in, in recent history. And in Malaysia, we've had Revivals in the East Coast where whole tribes, thousands of people at once would see the power of God. And we've had waves of revival. And the pe people who have been in that revival experienced something liminal during that period. The rest of us, most of us, read the books about these things. But it's never quite the same. Never quite the same. Because the Lord is not only timeless, but He's timely. And what we see in Acts chapter 2 has to do with being there. Those guys were there when God was moving. Does that make sense? Because He's moving all the time. He's not just static. He's moving. And if you are there when He's moving and you have an appropriate presence in the place, in that locality, very, very concrete, where he's moving, something takes place in your heart. Zacharias was there when the Holy Spirit was moving through the angel, but he was not appropriately present. He just, 
in some ways out of it. And because he was out of it, he couldn't talk about the Holy Spirit in the same way that other people could. He later had his experience, thank God. And that's why we have the hymn of, of Zechariah, the prophecy of Zechariah. But you know what it's like to not be able to say anything because you were not there for something very, very special that's transforming a particular group of people. I, was also, I also had the privilege of being there with a church that was very, very special. Very, very special when I was there. There were changes that took place that, that later made it not the same. But when I, was, when I joined this church, the church was really small. I had a vision that God could actually be so real that they could hear the voice of God and they could move in the things of the Spirit. Yes, even people who are considered despised and, uh, and the offscouring of the world, people who had no mu- not much education, not much ability, but who could experience the power of God and the love of God to such an extent. It was so transforming that you see kids casting out demons. I was there. I re- realized that I had to pay a price to be there, but I was there and I was so glad that in the midst of our poverty, we saw how God raised us up from hardly anything to being able to to, to, to planting church, uh, 45 churches in about 15 years. I'm so privileged, but not just being associated with them, but seeing how God worked, seeing how God transformed me. And so there's some things about church that sometimes we don't realize are very, very precious. We think that all of God's blessings are only any good or of any good if they are individual blessings so that I can go, and go off and do my own thing. But I don't know whether you've experienced this, being part of a company of people that may be small but which have a future and God does great things among. That was Acts chapter 2. Amen? Advent celebrates the fact that before it actually happens full-blown, we can actually enter in from the ground. And if we have an appropriate presence, that God can actually transform us and cause that time that we are in God's space, liminal space, to become so transforming that um, it would be known by other people. So I had the privilege of seeing God move in our church movement um, in such a way that not only did we grow, but people could tell the kind of people that came from this church. They know how to hear the voice of God. They're prophetic. They are able to um, endure suffering. And miracles happen wherever they go. Wherever they go, things happen. That is why in, uh, we grew so fast because whenever somebody was in college and, or, or in, 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 in high school and the government would post them or transfer them to different places where there was no church, they would just go start a church. Wherever they went, things happened out of nothing, you know? But I remember the time when we were together having hardly any money. We shared our clothes. We shared our food. We even shared our slippers. We shared our soap. (laughs) You know? But to actually see God actually do something among this company of people and then know that they are marked by a certain certain kind of character, it's quite something, quite something. And that's why when we began BCF, I was not interested in any kind of kind of numerical growth that didn't have that qualitative thing. And I felt that God is going to just keep us in one place until that thing actually happens. And we know our time of visitation and we will be a people who know how God displays strength and do, do exploits. I still believe even more than ever before, than ever before, 
that God is preparing us for such a time as is to come. Does that make sense? This is a liminal time. Praise God. Praise God. Evan Roberts was the main person that we see written about and spoken about in doing the Welsh Revival. For many of you who may not know, the Welsh Revival was the precursor for many of the modern revivals today, including the Azusa Street Revival. And it was Evan Roberts, um, uh, a coal miner, young coal miner, who got used tremendously. And it was at that time that he was praying and hungering for God and, and, and just in pain, just burdened for Wales, where God began to put desires in his heart. Lord, could, a hundred, could you give us 100,000 souls within a certain period of time? And the Lord did that, more than 100,000 souls. But as he was challenged, there was, he heard a man preaching who said, wouldn't it be terrible if the Holy Spirit comes and you're not there? Wouldn't it be terrible if the Holy Spirit comes and you're not there? And Evan Roberts said to, said to the Lord, Lord, how can that happen? How can I be sure that this will happen? And the Holy Spirit said, be present to me at all times. And you will not miss out. Yeah? And true enough, revival came in, well, in, in Wales, starting with the youth, actually, starting with the youth and spread to the U.S. and to so many other European countries. I have often felt during moments when God is moving, both in Malaysia as well as here, I always, I've often found myself thinking, oh, I wish this person was here. Oh, I wish this person was here. There are many times during our daily prayer in which I look at who's here and I say, oh, I wish she was here. I wish she was here. Oh, have you ever been in moments like this where something really special takes place and you wish your loved one or someone who has a problem that this moment was going to answer adequately? was here. I wonder whether you sometimes feel that when you come to church on Sunday and you hear something, a prophecy or during worship and, and you say, oh, I wish my brother was here. Oh, I wish this person that I was talking to was here. Oh, that would answer him. That would have met him. You know? I find myself many times thinking, oh, I wish this person, that would have been perfect. But they're not here. And that's partly because of the fact that God is not only timeless, but timely. <sighs> I want to talk a little, a little bit about Advent because of the fact that Advent is a way in which we can actually um, prepare ourselves so that we be at critical moments as a church when God is doing something. Amen. Let's turn to Luke chapter 1 verse uh, 68, I believe. And this is uh, to connect us with um, Zechariah, with uh, Advent. So by, by verse uh, 67, John the Baptist, Zechariah's son, is born and... Uh, God has sufficiently worked in Zechariah's heart to prepare him or get him up to speed to the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and the coming of, of, of Jesus. And for the moment, right? Getting him up to speed with this liminal moment. Verse 67, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and his tongue was loosened, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us. He has visited us and accomplish redemption for his people. And this is the theme, verse 69, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Okay, I'm going to read again. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Verse 68 says he has visited us. The visitation of God is a really great word. It's a very old English word, right? And uh, I'm not sure whether you have it in the ESV or, or other, other verses, but the, vis- the idea of a visitation is that it's a momentary moment, right? a momentary event in which God or, yeah, God actually comes to us in a special way. It's not like other moments because the visitation has to do with a special moment, not like any others. Yeah? So when uh, biblical figures talk about visitation or people of revival talk about vis- visitation, they're talking about a special, in some ways rare moment in which God releases himself from sameness and comes to us in a more intensified, more intimate, more miracle-laden way. He has visited us and raised our horn of salvation in the house of David. This is a good picture of what God is doing in our household. Household is the place in which special things that are Prevenient, yeah, prevenient of that miraculous revival thing happening. In the household, God cooks revival. He brings us together. He brings, he fits us together, and he sanctifies us. He brings repentance in our lives and causes us to live special, in a very special, in a very different way from the rest of the world. It's more sanctified. It's more um, aware of God. It trains us to walk closely with God. It trains us in little, little things. And so when a visitation happens, we always prepare for that visitation by cleaning the house, right? when our children are coming back from uh, Michigan or from uh, New Jersey, we do do our best to clean the house. When guests come to the house, we clean it even more. And we prepare a place, yeah? If you're not ready for a visitation, and you're not ready for it, the person who visits you doesn't feel that comfortable. Yeah? Doesn't feel that comfortable. So, Advent is, is preparing for a visitation. A visitation tells us that God isn't doing the same thing over and over again. It's not solid state. It's something different, something special, something uh, in the moment is taking place. Something, uh, something that is other than the normal is taking place. And we have to understand that in God, visitations are happening all the time all the time. And liminality is there all the time. I want to declare to all of us that you are in a liminal time. Don't wait for your liminal time. You are in it already. And may begin with small things. If you don't, you will not be ready for your visitation. In fact, by the time Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, you go 18 18 chapters to Luke chapter 9, 19 verse 42, a very, very sad uh, Messiah says this. If you had known, verse 42, this, in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but they are not now hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And that truly happened with uh, 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 Emperor Titus where everything was leveled. AD 70, the temple was completely destroyed. 
Then it happened again in AD 135 in the Bar um rebellion. It's very interesting that the time of visitation is a time in which God actually prepares us. And what God does is that He, against the run of play, things may be going really terribly. Acts chapter 1, things were, re- I'm sorry, Luke chapter 1, things were going very badly. Acts, Acts chapter 1, things had already been traumatizingly bad. But a liminal moment was about to reverse the whole thing. In God, every dark day can be reversed because God gives us liminal moments. You see, it says in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, is it Second Corinthians that um, um, behold, I make all I think all things new. To behold, today is the day of salvation. Right? I. Isaiah chapter 65, Behold, I make all things new. A liminal moment is available to us now. In fact, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, inaugurates liminality in our lives. The presence of the Holy Spirit makes possible supernatural power to reverse the trend of darkness on our lives. So in Joel chapter 2, you begin to see that Joel is, is, is prophesying the armies of, Is- of the Assyrians coming with great force. They're like locusts. They run on the city. They, 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 they jump on the wall, you know. They enter into the, through, 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 the, through the, the holes in the, in the building and, the, and through windows and all that. If you look at Joel chapter 2. And so Joel says, you are in a liminal moment. Judgment is about to come to the, to the nation. Things are going to be very, very, very bad. And jo- Joel says, you are not in a normal moment. You are in a, you're in a n- liminal moment. And what you have to do is to come and gather together all at once. We saw when Daniel shared about Nehemiah, there was crisis moments, right? Close crisis moments in which he said, all of you get on the wall and we're going to blow the trumpet. When we blow the trumpet, everybody gather together. There are certain moments that, that actually happen. They're not all the time. They're not all the time gathering together. But you have to understand the ways in which the Holy Spirit moves is that there are times in which He does a different thing, a, a, a liminal thing for a particular church, a particular group. And when that happens, it's all hands on deck. Everybody comes together for this moment. Not every moment, but for this moment because something formative is taking place. And that's why I believe that um, the event that we had last week was, was one of those things. was one of those things. Things happened in that moment. And there are dynamics that, take, that happen to, to certain people, uh, to many people I heard from this weekend. And it was a transforming moment. It, it does something in the, in the body, in the, in the church. In, in Joel... Watching the time. Joel chapter 2. Verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in, the holy, in, in, in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of, of clouds and thick darkness as the dawn is spread over the mountains. So there is a great and mighty people. There has never been seen anything like it, nor will there be again after the, after it to the years of many generations. I'm not, I'm not believing that this is not actually upon us even today in our contemporary world. Then verse 16, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and the nursing infants, let the bridegroom come out of his room. That much? Even the bridegroom come out of his room? Come on. And the bride out of her bridal chamber? Let the priests, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they among the people say, Where is their God? And what Joel is saying is this. There is a liminal moment in which you can change everything. 
the, 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 the enemy is at the gate. He's very powerful. He's, he, it is uh, unstoppable. But you can, by virtue of this, recognizing the visitation, recognizing the specialness of this moment, come together, gather together, repent, pray, and intercede for the, for the nation. Okay? And as, as a result of that, in the same chapter, chapter 2, verse 21, do not fear, O land. Rejoice and be glad, for the Lord has done great things. Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded its full. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for He has given you the early rain for your vindication, and He has poured down for you the rain, the early rain and the latter rain as before. The trashing floors will be full of grain, and the vats will overflow with the new wine and oil. Can you see, in the same, within the same book, within two, two chapters, the complete reversal. The complete reversal. That God's judgment is not unconditional. It's not predetermined. But if we don't recognize the day of visitation, then we will be leveled, as Jesus said. So, it's really important for us to not see the church as a solid state structure that's static, but the Holy Spirit is moving. So I don't look at what people are doing and what finances are like or what structures are, are going on. I look at what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church and I try to follow, follow the Holy Spirit. Amen? So if I'm devoted, as we talked about yesterday, uh, last week, devoted to the Apostles' Doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and, and prayers, if I'm devoted, I take my attention off myself, not in, being incurved towards myself, but towards the Lord and towards His people. And the second thing is I practice an appropriate presence to what God is doing. The only way is to be devoted, as we saw in Acts chapter 2. And then He says, beautiful, Verse 28, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, even on male and female servants. I will pour out my spirit in those days. Can you imagine? See how the tone has changed. All within one chapter. Chapter 2. In the liminal places. So if you can recognize this, I would would put it to you that actually that God actually has brought us into a liminal place. An appropriate presentness to God would be good for all of us. Not for our, my own individual little small corner, my own little family, my own little self, but because of the fact that I want to be part of something greater than my own little miserable so, that God is building a people together. Amen? And as a result of that, I need to get myself ready. I need to be able to be a person of faith and trusting God. There was a time in which Israel were not, was not on time. And uh, for those of you who are at the weekend, I'm going to reference a, a chapter that, um, that we looked at before. It's in Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah was warning um, Judah of judgment quite the same way as Joel was doing. But there's a very interesting thought that he brings. Verse 9, To whom would he teach knowledge? And to whom would he interpret the message? Those just weaned from milk? Those just taken from the breast? And the answer, of course, is no. No. For he says, order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. Indeed, he will speak to it, to this people, 
through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. Later on in Acts, in, in, sorry, in, in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks about this as the speaking in tongues, actually. He interprets it in a very interesting, very novel way, speaking in tongues. But the, the Isaiah is saying, for he says, verse 10, order on order, order on order, line on line, here a little, there a little. Indeed, he will speak to his people through stammering lips and a foreign tongue. He said, he who said to them, here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose, but they would not listen. So the word of the Lord to them would be order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there, that they may go and stumble backwards, be broken, snared, and taken captive. What does that mean? Well, what's happening is that Isaiah is speaking and imploring and appealing to the people of God to come back to God. Forsake drunkenness. Forsake other joys. And come back to the Lord. And the people say, what you're talking about is just like kiddie stuff. We have no interest in it. And you can transliterate what, um, what order on order, or line on line, precept on precept, here a little, there a little. And it sounds like this, kikikaka, kikikaka, kikikaka. And so what the, the people uh, uh, in Jerusalem and were saying is, this, you are talking kikikaka, kikikaka, kikikaka. It's just like, it's like what we say, nya, 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 or blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? He says, you're talking just such childish and simplistic things. That blah, 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 blah. And then Isaiah says, you know what? God is going to come to you. But he'll be in the form of the enemy. And it just happens that the Babylonians will speak to you. And their Babylonian accent sounds like this. Kikikaka, 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 kikikaka. And it will be like a horror movie for you. Because in an ironic way, the thing that I told you that seems too simplistic for you, too di- you're too dismissive of, is now come back to you in literal uh, form when the enemy comes and say, kikikaka, 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 kikikaka. But if you had listened to me, you would have had rest and repose. You see that? The one thing that I wanted to, to, to especially um, um, uh, um, share with you is the fact that when Isaiah says, who will God teach knowledge? Who will he teach wisdom? Is it people who are um, um, weaned from the breast, little kids, babies? His answer is no. Because here learning to hear from God takes time. And you have to learn it by practicing it and practicing it consistently, even though it seems like a childish thing. It seems like the not very advanced thing, not that nuanced, not that sophisticated. But you have to do it every day. You do it every day because this is your time of uh, liminality. This is your liminal space. This is the time in which you learn. You will not ha- there will come a time in which there's no more time to learn. And you'll be asking God questions to speak to you. But your level of hearing from God is at such a low and primitive and an and a infantile level that you can't hear profound things. You can't hear powerful things. You can only hear baby things. And what Isaiah is saying is this. If you do not start now, your time will have passed. Is it with people who are just weaned from the breast that can hear from God? No, he's saying that these people can't. You don't have the sophistication in hearing the voice of God. It takes time. What I want to tell you is this. I believe we are in liminal time and there is time. I don't know how long we have But it is not unheard of in the scripture that time runs out for the people of God because they did not recognize their time of visitation. And so one I want to encourage us today as we close is just the fact that God has brought us into a time of liminality. Change can happen. 
and as we look forward to Advent, what we, the last thing we want is to have a sort of a, a Christmas that's so bling-bling, it's so off the world, off the, off the culture, that it leaves us actually depleted rather than enriched. Now is the time for us to repent, come back to God, to renew our vows to the Lord, renew our commitment to the Lord, and spending time with Him. It is a time for us to practice an appropriate presentness to God. Be present to Him all the time. Don't dismiss things too easily. It's also a time for us as a church to come together. I want to invite you to try to join us for even decorations. Decorations. Join us for prayer. Join us in what God is wanting to do. Because it's not just involvement in the church so that we can do our volunteerism. Something is happening here. Something is happening here. Amen? And it goes beyond you and me. Let us pray. I want to give us um, just a moment to talk to God. Lord, we welcome the Holy Spirit to come to us on an individual basis. Come to us, Lord. We welcome you. We open our our hearts to you. While it is day, we seek you, Lord. We thank you that even this, our response, is helped by your strength and your guidance and your leading. We can't help ourselves. And we thank you that you're our helper. bring ourselves honestly to you. We recognize missed opportunities or times in which we just weren't there for what you are doing. Whether it is in other people's lives or in what you're doing in your body, we recognize that, Lord. But we thank you, Lord, You have brought us into this liminal time. Come, Holy Spirit. Remove all stones, bitterness, disobedience, Bless your name. Let's go ahead and just do business with God. He is able to lead us. He is able to hold our hand. We bless your name.
Let's sing it together. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Oh, come, let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. your name lord we welcome you into the life of this church we welcome you thou maker our creator our builder thank you lord that as we surrender ourselves to you lord you're able to come and provide supernatural sustenance to us in jesus name amen